Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning. If you've got your handouts, go ahead and grab one there at the table, and uh, we'll start walking through. So we're going to uh, review this slide quite a bit as we go through. Um, I want to make sure that we keep in mind what we are doing. I've gotten a lot of questions as we have gone through Romans so far because uh, several weeks ago, you remember I handed out a whole bunch of resources, a whole bunch of commentaries and different perspectives on Romans. And I've had several folks come up to me and go, Jim, 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 you, you keep talking about how we are supposed to be redistributing our time and spending more time with the Holy Spirit, more time in the Scripture, and more time talking to people and less time in tools. And you handed out all these tools. What was up with that? Yeah. So this is called practice. Okay, this is Alan Iverson. We're talking about practice now, all right? The, the idea is that I'm giving us an opportunity to say, here's the tool, let's set it aside. And let's focus on the Holy Spirit, let's focus on the Word, let's focus on the church, and then come to a resource. So, yes, this is absolutely all on purpose. It was part of a larger plan. This is the larger plan, and hopefully it will work. And hopefully by the end of this year, we will have enough practice at this that we will be where we need to be. So, at your table, there are two copies of Romans in the ESV. There is one that's a stapled packet of information. If you don't have an ESV copy of the Bible, feel free to take that one home with you. It's about 20 pages long. be a good resource for you. The other is an actual Bible itself in the ESV, so you can flip through there. Uh, I'd ask that you not take that one home. Um, leave those here. That'd be great because we want to use those each week. But I'm going to start with verse 1, and we're going to read through verses 16 and 17 this morning. That's our text for today, verses 16 and 17. So we'll start in Romans 1, verse 1. So Paul... A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may know now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you 
also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, I want to make sure we start each week reading the text. If you do nothing else, read the text over and over and over again. So, today's text is verses 16 and 17, two verses. And it may surprise you that, that I could probably teach like a long time about these two verses, right? Because th- these two verses have a lot going on. Um, and we're going to do, look at a couple different things. So, Bible study is about asking and answering questions. So, here's some of the questions that we're going to ask. We've asked these a couple of weeks uh, so far in our series. So, are there any literary or structural observations? What do the words mean? Are there repeated words? And what are some observations of the text? So, we're going to walk through uh, these questions. So, if you look at these two verses, what jumps out at you with these two verses? as far as the literary and structural observations. So week one was verses one through seven. And what jumped out at us on verses one through seven? It was one long sentence. Even when I I still, I struggled finding a place to breathe reading Romans one, one through seven, because you just, I need a good pause and there's not one coming. Uh, So there's one sentence there. In these verses, verses 16 and 17, we have two sentences. And what does it start with? What word does verse 16 start with? For. So there's some connection. And do you see the word for anywhere else in verses 16 and 17? Yes. So there's lots and lots of connections. There's connection after connection after connection. So these things are all related. And, and one of the ways that you can actually look at this, if you, if you look at your copy of the scripture, look at Romans 1.17, the second part of it, where it says the righteous shall live by faith. Does anybody's copy of the scripture, either electronically or in print, does, it, does that last part of verse 17 look differently? Yeah, it, it's, it's from Habakkuk, but does it look differently in some of your translations? Some of your translations has it indented. Some of your translations has it bolded. Some of your translations has it all caps. Some of your translations have italicized. I mean, there's all different ways that you can show this. But absolutely, you're right, darling. This is meant to tell you, hey, we're quoting something from the Old Testament. This is Habakkuk uh, 2.4. And it basically says, the righteous shall live by faith. It's actually the second half of Habakkuk 2.4. Uh, so this is what the structure of the text actually looks like. Now, what do the words mean? So I want you to look at your copy of Romans 1, 16 and 17. And I did this a few weeks ago, and some of you found this very beneficial. Um, and I think it's actually on your hand. I think I put this whole thing on your handout too, didn't I? I put the whole thing on your handout. There you go. All right. So I'm going to walk through this. These are what the words mean. And sometimes when we expand and flesh these things out a little bit, it it helps us understand the larger components as well. So verse 16, for, so this is a word that explains what came before. I am not ashamed. Now I'm going to talk about verb tenses as we go through today, because verb tenses are important in this text. So this is the present middle indicative. So the present tense, middle voice, uh, indicative mood. So the present means right now continuous. So this is going to continue on. The middle means the subject is acting in his own interest. So Paul's acting in his own interest when he says, I'm not ashamed. And the indicative is his statement of fact. I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The euangelion, a good message or the gospel. Uh, and some of your translations have the word, have two more words that are not present in the ESV in your English text. So what does your translation say? Of Christ. Excellent. Good. So I had a question right before Sunday school, which is awesome. Thank you, Miss Livia. Uh, around the interlinear, the, the copy of the English and the Greek on top of each other. And some of you have gone there and you have noticed that, that they're different. Yes. 
They are. They are very slightly different in some spots where there will be an English word where there's, there's not a Greek word. There'll be a Greek word where there's not an English word. And some of you are going, wait, wait, what? This, this could be a problem. No, it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. Uh, there are different manuscripts of Greek, uh, and some of them have of Christ, and some of them do not. And this is actually one of the things that Paul does a lot. He'll talk about the gospel, and sometimes he'll use of Christ, and sometimes he won't. And most of the time, it depends on his audience. If he's talking to a group of believers, he doesn't need to say of Christ, because they know who the gospel is really about. If he's talking to a group of unbelievers, sometimes he'll use of Christ to help clarify this is the actual message that we are talking about. And some of your translations have it, and some of yours don't. Does it change the meaning of the text? No, not at all. Absolutely not at all. So, so when you see these minor, minor differences, kudos, seriously, that was awesome to picked up on that. Uh, when you see these minor differences, just smile and go, isn't that awesome? I can trust the Word of God. That is fantastic. It is good, good, good that we can do this. So, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for, again, this is a word that explains what came before, it is, now, this is a fun one, and I don't want to go far, too far down this rabbit hole, because we're going to talk about it a little bit later on. It is, present, right now, middle, subject acting in his own interest, what's the word after interest? Or active. It's either the middle or the active. And I have learned something about Greek in the last three weeks that I did not know. Uh, and it was from a sermon that our pastor preached. And sometimes Gary will talk about verb tenses or moods or voices. And I pulled up the resource that I typically use and clicked on my words and I was ready to go. And the blank that he had on the screen had something else. Time out. Because I thought we all agreed on these things. And the reality is, not every Bible scholar agrees on everything. And it was shocking to me that it took me that long to realize that they might not agree on the interpretation of the voice and the mood and the tense as well. Now, you said something last week, or week before last, I think it was, about the spelling of Greek words and the order of Greek words. And what part of the Greek, so Mitch, what part of the Greek word matters as far as trying to figure out voice and tense and mood and all those types of things? Most of the time it's the ending, but sometimes it's the beginning. Yes. And that's just clear as crystal, right? <laughs> right. It is if you've had Greek. It is if you've had Greek. Um, and in almost any Greek textbook that you go to, what you will find is here's what's true about 95% of the time in this, in this, in this. Oh, and then there's some other situations that are really, really hard. And it's okay. Because guess what, Olivia? It's just like that of Christ. It really doesn't functionally change the meaning of the text in any way, shape, or form. Which one it could be. So it's, again, another good confidence in uh, the Scripture. So this might be middle. This might be... Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. This might be middle or it might be active. Uh, either way, it doesn't really change the, the meaning of this particular text. And again, indicative statement of fact. All right, here we go. I'm done talking about tenses and Greeks and moods and voices, all right? For at least 30 seconds. <clears throat> the power, the dunamis, the force, the miraculous power, the ability, abundance, meaning, might, miracle, strength, violence, the mighty work of God for or to salvation, soteria, the rescue, for our rescue, for our safety, to everyone. This is anybody. This is everybody. This is the whole, which sounds like universalism until you get the next two words. Who believes? And again, this is present tense. So it's right now what? Continuous. Continuous. And this is important. You may want to circle that word continuous there. 
We're going to come back to that, and we're going to wail on that for quite a while. Active. So the subject is performing the active. So the person who's believing is performing the active. Participle. Um, and is believing might be a more literal way to translate this, and in some of your translations it might say is believing. Uh, but participles end, end in ing. So um, this verb believes is uh, pisteo. Uh, in the Greek this is have faith. Uh, either, either a thing or a person. Uh, it's to credit, to entrust, to believe, or to commit to the Jew. This is the Jewish people. Uh, first, so this is first in time, place, order of importance. Uh, and also to the Greek, these are non-Jewish people. For, again, a word that connects. For, it is the righteousness, for in it, the righteousness, which is a word that I cannot pronounce. I have tried at least at least 20 different times to learn how to pronounce this word. It does not work. Uh, and I hope that you have words that you just kind of struggle with and you talk around and you write around. I have a bunch of these in Greek. I have a lot of Greek helps that tell me exactly how to pronounce it. I cannot make my lips replicate the sound. So I've printed it there for you. Have at it. Uh, it means equity, justification, or righteousness. Of God is revealed. So this is the present tense. This is right now continuous. In the middle of voice, the subject's acting in his own interest. Indicative of statement of fact. It means to take off the cover, to disclose, to reveal. So in, the righteous, in this, the righteousness of God is uncovered from faith. This is pistis, uh, persuasion or moral conviction, reliance upon constancy and profession, the system of religious truth, assurance, belief, belief, uh, faith, and fidelity. For or to faith. Again, the same word. As it is written. And this is historical look back. Uh, just as it is written and described in Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous... The equitable, the innocent, the holy, the just, the righteous shall live. And this is future tense. This is active. The subject's going to be performing this active in the future, in, performing this uh, activity in the future. Indicative of statement of fact by faith. Again, the same word. So the question is: Are there any repeated words? Faith. Yes, absolutely. So circle the word faith in that front side of the handout there. How many times does it show up? I heard threes. Anybody else? <laughs> I love it when I ask a question after somebody's gotten the right answer because you all lean forward like, whoop, I counted three. Hang on just a second. Yes, it shows up three times. So do you think faith is important? Yes, I think so. All right, I need a young Samsel to help me. Can I get a young Samsel to help me? Can I get a young Samsel? Excellent. All right, so we're going to play T-ball for just a second. All right, Miss Carrie? You dressed for the occasion, you said, right? All right, young Samsel, uh, you're the short, I think you're the shortest person in the room, so you're going to be my T, all right? <laughs> so you just hold that right on your head, right there for me, okay? Awesome. All right, Miss Carrie. Now, she loves kids, so this should work out well. <clears throat> so here's what Paul is doing in Romans 1, 16, and I got a whole bunch of these, so we're just going to whack these off into the audience and have fun. Uh, Paul is setting up a whole... Bu- no, actually, stand over here. We have visitors over here, and I don't want to hurt them, so awesome. <laughs> cool. It's good to have you all today. Um, so here's what Paul is doing. He's got a whole bunch of words in this text that he is teeing up to use all throughout the rest of Romans. And you can almost take the text of Romans 1, 16, and 17 and piecemeal it up and apply it on top of massive chunks of the rest of the text because that's what's coming. All right. You ready? Is this a good idea? You don't think this is a good idea? Who doesn't think this is a good idea? Oh, that's okay. 
Which way are you going to swing? So who can catch? I bet Mitch can catch. You can get it over to Mitch. Gee whiz. So the, the first black eye that I ever got, um, I grew up poor, like really, really poor. Yeah, I got a lot of black eyes. <laughs> the first one I ever got, I was standing behind, we were playing golf in the front yard with a baseball bat and uh, baseballs because the gophers had dug up all these little holes and it made this wonderful golf course because you could just put the ball with it. And I was standing next to my sister just like this and she's about where Miss Carrie, no, you're good, you're right there. She's about where Miss Carrie was. And I said, hit it hard. And the last thing that I remember <laughs> was hearing my dad scream, no! And whack, you know, unconscious, laid out. There I go, fantastic. Wake up with a shiner and a really lousy story to tell. All right, you think, you think this is a good idea? No. <laughs> out of the mouths of babes, right? You got it? There you go. Nice. Good job. All right. Just give, just give him a hand. Give him a hand. There we go. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Carrie. All right. So Paul is playing t-ball with this text because he's going to tee some stuff up that are really, really important. So here's some words that are really important. Uh, you're going to see the words uh, gospel. You're going to see the word power. You're going to see the word salvation. You're going to see the word belief. You're going to see the word righteousness and righteous. You can see the word faith. All these things are incredibly, incredibly important for what is about to happen because Paul is going to walk through these a whole lot in the rest of the text. So let's flip over to the back side of the text and I've given you a whole bunch of space to write in between the text, any comments that you think are helpful here. So let's look at some observations of the text. So verse 16, for I am not ashamed. So what do you, this seems like a strange comment just to kind of start off here because um, Mr. Stamsel, you, you sent me a note and it was a really intuitive uh, and interesting comment. Do you remember the email that you sent, what your quote said? Can you paraphrase the quote for me? Yeah, because why would you start off saying, Hi, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> well, that, like, what? Right? Has anybody ever felt ashamed in your whole life? Yeah, like a little bit. I'm trying to find a way to get back to my water because I'm dying of thirst right now. So. <laughs> and we've, I love the fact that we're, our tables are closer together, but it does make it, there we go. Thank you. That's all right. Um, I'll go back this way. That's all right. So what have you been ashamed of? Actions. What else? Poor decisions. You never made a poor decision. Holy cow. It, I tell you what, a poor decision is not. You can make some homemade bread. <clears throat> Let me tell you, that is not a poor decision. So if you ever get a chance, it's where you need to go get your homemade bread. All right, Miss Darla, what'd you say? Things you said. You've never said something you're saying, though. Can we narrow it to the last two weeks? No, you can't. <laughs> You've been very nice last two weeks. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Isn't that awesome? How's Chief doing? He's doing well. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. And that has probably given you two an opportunity to communicate in a more candid way that has been normal in the past, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll leave that alone. So, so Paul starts off here and he says, for I am not ashamed. So 
this is very helpful information to know. Stephen Archer sent me literally an entire Sunday school lesson. Um, so I, w- I want to pause here for just a second. When you go to the website that is listed on the back, on the bottom of that handout on the second side, and you go to the website, uh, you can click on the teacher notes. And the teacher notes, after the stuff that I teach, have all the observations that you guys have been sending in for the last couple of weeks. The document that I've been working off of right now is 62 pages long. We're 17 verses in. If the math holds, it'll be a little over 700 pages long. And the vast majority of that is all the feedback and the comments that you guys have been sending in. Well, Stephen Archer is a buddy of mine from Florida. Hello, Stephen. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, he listens each week. And he told me he was going to send me some notes. So I get an email from him, and he, in the text of the email, it basically says, Hey, I, I, sorry, um, I just got really excited, so I just did a whole Sunday school lesson. So there's like this whole bonus Sunday school lesson in the appendix of the notes today. So it's fantastic. But here's a really good quote. He said, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Not because he was used to looking a little odd, but because his foundation was in the work of Christ on the cross. Paul said his identity towards Christ and cared more about everyone else's standing before God than he did about what they thought of him. And this, I think, is very helpful to understand when he talks about in those first seven verses, what does he start off with? This is who I am in Christ. 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 And this is where I want to go, and then this is why I'm not ashamed, because of that root that he had established earlier. So I'm not ashamed of something very specific, and this is the gospel. And some of you heard the definition just a second ago, but here's your first blank. The gospel is a good message. The gospel is a good message. Micah, what is that? What is that on the screen up there? It's text messages back and forth, right? Is this a good text message display, or do you, you're not really sure? Don't really. It'd be better if it had words, right? Yeah. So the gospel, we, we typically describe the gospel as good news, and it is. It is incredibly good news. But the, the literal word means a good message. Um, and a message is something that is sent from somebody to somebody. It is not just proclaimed in the air imaginatively. This is very directionally sent. So I don't want to miss the part here that the the gospel is a a good message as well. For it is. Now, what what kind of tense did we say this was in? You remember? Present tense, right. All right, so this implies that the gospel is working right now. There's a pattern to these blanks, okay? And it is powerful right now. And it is necessary for right now. Yeah, it's quite important. Um, And most of us have a, I think, I think, a very past tense view of the gospel, which is not good um, because the gospel is not just for our conversion. Uh, Some of us kind of say that um, that the gospel is. I have a. I got a little bit of the gospel the day I got saved, and I'm, I'm good. Right. That's it. Everything's fantastic from there. And the reality is, we need the gospel every single day. So who was Paul writing to? Was Paul writing to believers in Romans or unbelievers in Romans? Believers. And what does he want to do to those believers? He, he wants them to do what? Shan, I saw it. He wants to preach the gospel to them. And you go, well, well Paul's confused about the nature of the gospel. <laughs> Well, if there's one human being in the history of the universe, I don't think was confused about the nature of the gospel. I think it's Apostle Paul, right? I think, he, I think he had that one squared away. The gospel is good for believers to hear over and over and over and over again. And when, I heard this quote a couple years ago and it's been just 
gnawing me up. When we hear the gospel and are bored by it, it is not the gospel's problem. Okay? So when you see a sermon, you're like, oh, we're going to talk about the gospel today. And you go, well, I've heard that before. Yes, and we need it today too. All right, so here's what I'm talking about. The gospel and the reality. So your next blank is, for many of us, our idea of the gospel is peanut butteringly deficient. Some of you go to the grocery store and you buy these tiny, I found this is the smallest container of peanut butter I could find. These tiny little, they're smaller than this. This is just pathetic, right? Yeah. Yeah. so you, you have these tiny little things of peanut butter, and I can only, you, know, like you get like two sandwiches out of this. I mean, this is, this is really ridiculous, right? This is, I mean, come on now. This is, this is ridiculous, right? And, and some of you, you are just apostates because you buy this garbage. You have, you have mixed heresy with the gospel, okay? Do not do this, my friends. Do not. There's like warnings all in these other letters about this. So I'm just, I'm just going to put this one on the bottom shelf because that's where that goes. And if it, I'll need to give this away to somebody at some time at the end of the day. But um, I also found this is six pounds of peanut butter. <laughs> you got dibs? Awesome. So here's what I'm saying when I say you're, you're, our, our my, me, Jim's view of the gospel is not sufficient sometimes because what I want to do is I want to go take a teaspoon of this and smear it all over one particular day. And the reality is, get yourself an ice cream scooper. (laughs) It's good for every single day. Dig in. You cannot get too much of the gospel. It is impossible to overeat on the gospel. It is not the milk of the word. It is the meat. It is the substance. It is, this is creamy. I should have got chunky, right? It is good. You you ever eaten like four peanut butter sandwiches? Anybody ever eaten four peanut butter sandwiches? You have? That's awesome. I was going to say I didn't think a human could do it, but that's awesome. Um, Five? If Justin hadn't, not at one time, yeah, I mean at one time, I was like, it's like, dang, man, there's probably like a Guinness World Record for that. You should call him up and see if she can get something, right? Four peanut butter sandwiches at a time. Anybody eating that much? Yes. One. Well, we'll do a triple deck. So you got three layers? Three pieces of bread. I call that a double decker. I'm going to do a triple decker. I'd say one and a half. Because you're not getting the fourth piece of bread, right? So maybe one and three quarters. We could argue over the fraction, but it'll be all right. More. So, Justin, did you call the peanut butter? Is that, you said you wanted the peanut butter? Okay, awesome. I'm not giving you the, this because I need that. Um, that's my ice cream. <laughs> we'll talk about ice cream in chapter nine. <laughs> So did you get the blank? Did you get the blank? 
For many of us, our idea of the gospel is peanut-butteringly deficient. The gospel was active and working before you got saved, while you were getting saved, and right now it is keeping you saved. And it is the power of God. Circle the word is in your notes there. It is the power. It's not like the power. It doesn't unleash the power. It doesn't uh, resemble the power. It's not close to the power. It is the power. And when we belittle it, and when we say, oh, I've heard that before, and when we say things like, oh, that's just, that's too simple. I wore my NASA shirt today for a reason. This is not rocket science. It's about the gospel. And when we make it more complicated than that, we make Jesus sound like rocket science to people, and we turn them off. It's about the gospel. So, this is where we are. The power of God. Keller's got a great verse, uh, quote here. He says, uh, Paul is saying that the gospel is not merely a concept or a philosophy. The message of the gospel is what God has done and will do for us. The gospel is therefore a power. He doesn't say it brings power or has power, but it actually is power. It is powerful because it does what no other power on earth can do. It can save us, reconcile us to God, and guarantee us a place in the kingdom of God forever. Whew. Give me some of that. And don't spread it on thin. Don't you be spreading it on thin. I'm going to go over to somebody's house at some point in the future, and y'all are going to be serving peanut butter sandwiches, and I'm going to get a peanut butter sandwich with like three inches of peanut butter on it. That's not how I like my... And I don't want creamy mess either. I, don't, I want chunky or nothing, right? Just don't be messing with this creamy stuff. All right, next words. Uh, for salvation. For salvation to everyone. So everybody's going to be saved, right? Oh. Who believes? Those two words are really, really important. Who believes? And what kind of tense is that believes in? It's continuous. It's the active, the present tense. Salvation is an always-on concept. It's an always-on concept. To who first? To the Jews first. Yeah, God's plan is Jews first, everybody else second. You say, well, I don't like being second. <laughs> Just be glad you've got a place in line. Let's <laughs> not, not go about arguing in position here. I, I'm, I'm thrilled beyond measure, and hopefully we'll spend the rest of my life rejoicing in the fact that I got a spot. I, I'm, you know, and it wasn't because of me. It was because of him. Jews first, everybody else second. And also to the Greek, praise the Lord for this and, because without it we would be lost. Uh, we're the Greeks. We're the non-Jews. Second gets into the family. I'm good with that. For in it, the righteousness of God. So what is the righteousness of God? What is the righteousness of God? What? It's Jesus. Yes, it's absolutely. It's Jesus Christ. This, this is, this is a, um, the, a divine attribute of God. It's an activity of God. It's an achievement of God. And it is God himself. This, there's a, a lot of very rich meaning here in this little phrase. And it is revealed. Uh, what, did that, what was the word that I used to describe revealed earlier? Uncovered, which is what I did to the peanut butter stuff over here. Because some of you walked in and you were like, what's under the towel? <clears throat> I'm not telling you. I'll tell you when it's time to tell you. Right? But what does, what does this concept do? In it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel itself uncovers the righteousness of God. 
Well, that's pretty neat. That's an amazing concept. <clears throat> Which kind of makes me wonder, it kind of makes me wonder, is there ever something in the Old Testament that is hidden, like maybe behind a veil? Yeah, what is it? The, the glory of God, right? The, the kind of glory of God in the, the temple, in the tabernacle, the, the covering up. Because what could you not experience? What can we not right now experience? The full glory of God. It, we, it's, we're just not going to, we're not going to survive that. And the gospel is the revealing of the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful thing. From faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, I have a picture. Oh, I forgot to put my picture of peanut butter up there. There's a lot of really weird-looking pictures of peanut butter on the Internet. I wouldn't recommend you Google it. Um, <clears throat> bizarrely so. I wasn't, exp- you know, sometimes you Google things, and you're like, oh, maybe, click. And I wouldn't expect it with peanut butter. All right. So, uh, this is our dear friend Martin Luther. Uh, he lived from 1483 to 1546, and he got really, really hung up on these two verses. And I'm going to read you uh, a part of his testimony that he wrote about Romans 1, 16, and 17. So this is from uh, his preface to the complete edition of Ruth, uh, Luther's Latin writings. This is not in Latin. I can't read Latin, so it's okay. Uh, he wrote this in Wittenberg in 1545. Right? Is at the very end. He's looking back, and this is his perspective on a lot of different things. So here we go. Uh, and he uses some words, and I'm going to kind of substitute uh, modern words because we don't say some of these. Uh, meanwhile, I had already during that year uh, returned to interpret the Psalms anew. I had confidence in the fact that I was more skillful after I had lectured in the university on Paul's epistles to Romans and to the Galatians and to the one to the Hebrews. I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary uh, passion for understanding Paul in the epistle to the Romans. But up till then, it was not the cold blood about the heart, but a single phrase in chapter 1, in it the righteousness of God is revealed that had stood in my way. For I hated that phrase, righteousness of God, which according to the use and customs of all the teachers I had been taught to understand philosophically regarding the formal or active righteousness, as they call it, which, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. Now what he's saying here is that, that man is actively working righteousness and God comes alongside and finishes that. So he's saying this is, this is there's a, the, I can't make this fit, Right? Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemy, certainly murmuringly greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if indeed it is not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of problem by the law of the Ten Commandments without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. A fierce and troubled conscience. This is a man under conviction is what is happening here. Nevertheless, I persistently beat upon Paul at that place, most passionately desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. And at last, by the mercy of God, listen to this, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he through faith is righteous shall live. 
There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive or received righteousness with which God, the merciful, justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through its open gates. So what did Luther do? He read it once and then said, I don't understand that. I'll just skip by, right? Days and days and days and days of wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And we go, well, I'm busy. We are not too busy to understand God. Uh, so I'll give you a little translation here. Martin Luther got saved by studying and staring at Romans 1, 16 and 17. And this changed everything for him. He, see, he could no longer tolerate a system of indulgences because it was no longer about money. It was about faith. And he then set off on a path to reform from the inside the Catholic Church. And when that path didn't work, what happened? Broke. He said, well, we gotta, I, I, I must do what God says. I can do no other here, right? Uh, Dave Barber sent me a great quote. He said, no wonder Martin Luther's world got rocked. He was, this massive, he was in this massive system of the Catholic Church that was a machine built to receive every other method or effort to make man right with God. And they completely missed it. Completely missed it. This would have been the equivalent of if you'd have took a swing and you like cracked him in the back of the head, right? This would have been, the, you were really careful about this, I could tell, and I appreciate that. And Luther was careful about his handling of this text. So you say, Jim, what's the point? All right, let's do this quickly. Number one, the gospel is the power of God. So what do we do with that? Well, number one, believe the gospel. <clears throat> this is not rocket science. Believe the gospel. Number two, the gospel is for right now, yes? So believe the gospel right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave a blank here for you. You can put whatever you want to in that blank. Romans 1, 16 through 17 is, I literally, in my notes, it is blank. There is not a right answer for this. I want to say indescribably amazing. I want to say the sum of all that is good and right of Romans. I want to say incredible. So what I want you to do with that is I want you to memorize Romans 1, 16 and 17, because it will give us a good framework for what we'll be doing uh, for the next uh, 44 weeks, actually, which is awesome. So next week is God's wrath on unrighteousness. So we, we have kind of come to the pinnacle of the, the message of Romans. And I will tell you, don't lose heart. Because it will take us to Easter to find something to really celebrate and rejoice in. Because we're going to dive deep into the wrath of God. Uh, this is not the wrath of Khan. This is the wrath of God. Two completely different things, all right? So our homework, remember our, our helps, our, our order matters here. The Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church, and tools. Some links there for you to help. Our process, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Read Romans. Talk to somebody in our class. Send me your feedback uh, by Wednesday of each week, and I would love to help. So, uh, again, the quotes and the observations are online in the teacher edition. This particular teacher set of notes is 22 pages long. My stuff that I taught from today was seven, so... Feels like about 15 pages of other really, really good stuff that helps and supports and encourages. So I'd encourage you to get involved in that. Uh, and then let's move into our table prayer time. So you should have a weekly update with the wrong date at the top. Uh, I apologize for that. And uh, the prayer requests are correct, but that date is wrong. So 
to confess my faults before one another. But if you will lean in and pray, uh, write down any new prayer requests that you have. We would love to pray over those this week. Uh, And then after you have finished praying as a table, you are dismissed. So thanks for coming to Sunday School, guys. (laughs) 